Have you ever just lost a passion for something? Maybe it was something that you either continually heard over and over again, and so it kind of annoyed you, or it's a game you used to play over and over again, and you just lost passion because it seemed to be so regular in your life that you've just kind of gotten used to hearing it or used to seeing it or used to playing it. Every Monday night, I play uh, Xbox with my brother and two other buddies of mine, and it's always a great time for me because I don't go and hang out with my friends as much anymore, but it seems to be a good opportunity for all four of us to just play a game together, talk, have fun, catch up throughout the week. And so it's a, it's a great time that I love and I try to protect on Monday nights because it's just so fulfilling to me to spend time with them. I know I'm not physically doing that, but just hearing them and, and, and playing the game with them. But every Monday night, every Monday night, we play this game, Call of Duty, Cold War, and there's a game mode in it where you can play 2v2. And so the goal is to be the last one standing. And so um, your hope is, is that your two teammates will take out the other two teammates and you don't respond. So it's just once you die, you're dead. And you play first to win six rounds as the winner of the whole, it's called gunfight, is the whole um, concept of this game mode. And so probably now since the game came out, which would have been two years ago, almost every Monday night since we've been playing this, We've played this mode. And between the four of us, sometimes we switch up teams, but we play this game every Monday night. That just recently, probably in the past couple of weeks, one of my buddies has asked us almost every Monday night now, is there a new game that we can play? And he's probably one of the best ones at this game, but he's grown passionless to this game because we've played it every single Monday for probably the past year and a half. And I think sometimes when it comes to Christianity, something that we can become passionless about is the gospel. It's something that we grow up hearing in church. We grow up either telling our friends about or our friends talking about, and it just constantly is surrounding the Christian face because faith because it is the foundation of the Christian faith that I think we've grown passionless to it. And it's interesting to me because it seems like the more that I remind myself about the gospel, the more I become passionate about it, but yet sometimes it seems as we remind the followers of Jesus about the gospel, they become more passionless about it. And I think there's many aspects to it, but I think in general what we don't tend to process is the, all, all the aspects of the gospel. Like we understand Jesus came and he died on a cross and it's exciting, but I think when you really put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus, when you really get into the gospel as if you were there, as if you were feeling what Jesus felt, I think you're going to begin to appreciate the good news, which is what the gospel means, more and more. And every time that you hear it, it shouldn't be something we become passionless about. It should be something we become more passionate about. I think we need to reignite the passion of the good news. 
I think we really need to take to heart the gospel because if there's one thing we should be able to preach, teach, and hear about every week if we wanted to in church, it should be the gospel. It should be the good news. And so I want to hopefully for the next few moments try to help you get in the shoes of this good news understand the gospel for what it is and hopefully not make you become more stale to it but yet you reignite that fire for the foundation of what we believe in and so in order to understand this you've got to go back to genesis chapter 3 and there's this beautiful scene that's painted in the creation that god the father the son and the holy spirit are all present in creation and, and God goes through each day and he creates different things on days one through six. And then on day six, he creates man and, and then he creates woman because as he's trying to find man a partner, he can't find uh, somebody suitable through animals. And so he says, I need to create somebody that's going to be in a relationship with this person. And it says here in chapter 2, verse 19, so the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And Adam chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the living livestock, birds, wild animals, but still there was no companion suitable for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall asleep into a deep sleep. He took one of the Adam's ribs and closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. At last, Adam exclaimed, she is part of my flesh and bones. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. And so out of Adam, the first man that was ever created, God creates a woman. This is the companion for the man. Man is not meant to be alone. He's meant to be in relationship. So you even see from the beginning of creation that God is setting up this relationship with him, this relationship. Catch that word. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to be in relationship. God wants to be in relationship with you. And so from that moment that he creates man and he creates woman, they're in this beautiful scene called the Garden of Eden. There's no sin into the picture. Everything is perfect. Everything is unified. Everything is together. They're talking with God. They're walking with God. There's nothing that's getting in to block their mind from this relationship that's so blissful and intimate. And God says, there's only one thing I want you to know. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only thing that I don't want you to do. And so you may know the story, the serpent comes in and he begins to tempt Eve. Eve then looks at the fruit and she sees that it's so appealing, that it's something that I need to have. And Satan begins to get into the mental warfare that maybe you should eat this. And so what does she do? She eats it and gives some to her husband. And from that moment, sin now enters into the world and totally disunifies us from this relationship with God. There now becomes this picture that here we are with God and as sin enters into the world, there becomes this gap in between us and God. And from that moment on, God was on a rescue mission to get us back in this relationship. And all through the Old Testament, there's these commands and, and these sacrifices and ways that we are to navigate this relationship and atone for our sins. But God has promised that there will be a day that he will send 
a perfect sacrifice to pay the price for us to be forgiven for all eternity and be able to enter into relationship with him. And so just put yourself in the shoes for a moment. We're not even getting to the good part yet, but, but as we set up life before Christ, this is what we're like. We're sinful people. We're separated from God, yet there's a God that so desperately wants to be in a relationship with us. He so desperately has a love so deep, so vast, so wide for us that he's wanting us to see that there's something better to life than sin. There's something more fulfilling to life than sin. And the answer is him. Jesus, God's son in flesh and bone, was sent down, sent down onto this earth even while we were a long way off, even while we were still in sin, even if we never looked at him and for a sacrifice. He sends his son down. It's Christmas. Jesus is born. And lives 33 years, 30 years preparing for the three years that he does ministry here on this earth. And one of my favorite verses is John 3.16. You've probably heard it, but this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God sends his son to live this life. And, and, and I want to take a look in the future at the way that God navigated life and how Jesus spent time with people you probably wouldn't expect Jesus to spend time with. But Jesus had such a deep love for people and he didn't care what they were involved in. He didn't care what sin they were in. He was so broken over what the people were choosing to fulfill their desires, to fulfill their life. And Jesus is just standing there saying, look at me. I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And yet, I think we grow so stale to this. We hear it all the time. You're a sinner. We're preached at. You're involved in all this junk that you shouldn't be. You're taking things to fulfill the holes that Jesus should be fulfilling in your life. And so you need to wake up and look to Jesus. And in a sense, that's true. But what I want you to understand is that there's a Savior who looks at you and he understands the brokenness in your life and there's a love that overflows him. There's a deep so love that he says, I just want you. I want you to be in a relationship with me. I did this for you. And so go on the journey that we're going to take here for a moment as Jesus comes down and it's his time. He enters into Jerusalem and they give this Palm Sunday where they're laying palms and he's riding on a donkey and people seem to be praising him. And he enters into the Last Supper and then he goes to the garden and he's so uh, uh, broken, if you want to say, over this 
price that he's about to pay. I want to read this for a second here. And Matthew, I think, does an amazing job. When you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, it says this. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. This is what he tells his disciples while he goes and prays. And then he begins to pray. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Even God is so crushed with grief, not because of necessarily the painful death that he will die on a cross, but more the weight of sin and the weight of pain and the weight of suffering and the weight of brokenness that he's going to carry on his back, not for those that are going to accept him, but for those that won't accept him, for those that will accept him, for everybody on this planet. Do you understand the weight that he carried? We think of a backpack that's heavy. We think of squatting 400 pounds on our back. We think of all that weight, but you can't begin to fathom the amount of sin and separation in our world that Jesus put on his back because he loved us. He didn't have to, yet he wanted to because of the consuming fire he had for us. Deuteronomy 4.24, an amazing verse. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He wants you, and he's so jealous that you run to other things to fulfill. Yet he, with a deep love for you, says, I'm here. I'm here. And sometimes in moments like this, people and pastors and teachers will look at you and say, what are the things you're trying to fulfill in your life instead of Jesus? Here's what I just want you to think about. Have you grown stale to what Jesus came to do for you? Even if you look at your life right now and you say, well, I'm not really involved in a bunch of what we would call big sins. And so I understand the gospel and I'm forgiven. But how does the gospel apply to every single day of my life? You want to know how it applies to every single day of your life? You may not be involved in these big sins, but you still are a sinner. But what you need to understand more is that there was a God that loved you so much that didn't have to come rescue you, but you were the princess that he came down that was stuck in the tower and said, I've got to have him. I've got to have her. And that I want to be involved in a relationship with that person day in and day out. Where we walk like the Garden of Eden. Where we talk about our lives. Where we share what's going on. Where we share the good parts. Where we share the bad parts. I want to be in a relationship like you're in a relationship here on this earth with a spouse. With a friend. When a dating relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, I want that, yet on such a deeper level. And what we've done is we've kept it such at a surface level because I think we don't see him. And so we don't understand the depth of this relationship. And so it's become stale. I think that's just the reality. Why have we grown stale to one of the most intimate relationships we can have? Jesus showed us the greatest act of love by coming to rescue us. And he didn't have to. 
So more, I guess, maybe what I'm saying is, wake up. Take this relationship seriously because I'm here to tell you there truly is nothing better than this good news to understand what he did for you. So he carries the weight of sin on his back. And then he goes after this moment, he gets arrested. And he stands before Pilate and he stands before uh, King Herod and he stands before back and forth and it's this mess of a trial because in all reality nobody can find anything wrong with what he what he's done and so they release Barabbas because there's a tradition every Passover to release a prisoner and so they release Barabbas and Jesus is sent to be crucified and I just want you to picture your savior for a second I just want you to see what the Savior went through for you. He's then spit at. He's then whipped severely. Some of the whips, um, they would put shards of glass or rock kind of woven into them so that when they would whip somebody, it would literally dig into the skin and scrape through the back. And so this wasn't something that like a belt you get hit with if you got spanked with a belt and that it hurt. Like, no, this was something that they would throw and then it would dig into the skin and rip the skin off. And so as they continuously whip our Savior and as he's beaten to a pulp and he can barely move and yet his back is so raw because it's so split open from all of the whipping there's a powerful moment in the passion of Christ if you've never seen it that Mary who had so many demons who was involved in so much sin and began to follow Jesus begins to mop up the blood of her Savior Jesus had changed her life. And she had to sit there and watch her Savior get beaten to a pulp. Her mo- his mother. I mean, can you imagine his mother watching all this unfold? Jesus, so split open is then woven together a crown of thorns that is shoved on his head. And we're not talking, it was just set on his head. These are thorns. You've probably been scratched by thorns. Thorns have dug into your skin. It is jammed on his head. So that digs now into his head. And so as he's split open, he's now supposed to carry a massive, heavy cross up a hill right outside the city. And so he's got to go through the city outside of the walls, up a hill, carrying this thing with split open skin. You've maybe skinned your knee and the, the, the flesh underneath has been exposed and then you touch it even and it hurts. And Jesus is carrying something that's so heavy that it was probably sliding down his back and even just killing his back more and more. Massive bleeding. 
And we haven't even gotten to the gruesome part yet. Even in all the midst of this pain, he then makes it to the top of a hill. The cross is laid on the ground, and he's laid with arms wide open, nail in each hand, one nail between both of his feet, and he's flown up on the cross as it's pushed up from the ground, shoved in the hole. And can you imagine as he comes forward and there's like this shake like that, and just how his whole body and the nails, I can't begin to explain. But then he hangs there, enduring the pain that even just to breathe, he kind of had to shove himself up, which was painful to breathe, all so that you could be rescued. This is our Savior, that he's willing to be beaten to a pulp and die for you. And he then dies, but what's so cool about it is then three days later, he rises again. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that whoever, that's why I love John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever, doesn't matter what you've done in your past, doesn't matter what you're involved in right now, doesn't matter any requirements, uh, stigmas, whatever it is, there's nothing that can keep you from this relationship with God. So we need to stop getting in our heads that only certain people can come to Jesus. We need to stop getting in our heads that you need to get yourself together before you can come to Jesus. Jesus wants you right where you're at because that's what he died for. The gospel should never be stale to us. When you begin to understand that God didn't have to, he wanted to because he had such a deep love for you that he came down to rescue his princess that was kept in captivity so that they could be in a relationship again. This is the good news. And I hope that it's good to you. As I close, I think about Shannon growing up. She used to always talk to me about this game, Loco Roco. Don't understand the game. Don't know anything about it. But she used to talk about how her brother had a PSP. And this was the game that she played all the time. She would put hours into this game. She could sit there and play this game forever. Well, then either the PSP broke. They got rid of the PSP, whatever it was. But she couldn't play the game anymore. And so there was this long period of time that she didn't play this game, but she would talk to me about it every so often because I'm somebody that likes to play games, as I mentioned at the beginning of this. And so I like to spend time playing games. And I'm like, you need to play a game. And she would talk about this game that she grew up playing. But it had been so long that she didn't have a, an excitement, a passion for it again. And then one of my buddies, while we were in between our houses, uh, living in an apartment, had talked about getting rid of one of his PSPs and asked if we had wanted it. And instantly in that moment, there was this reignited passion that Shannon goes, yes, we should get it. That I could get Loco Roco and play this game. And she got so excited about it. We went over and got this PSP. She came back to the house and we play, she played this game for like two or three hours. And there was this reignited excitement because she had the ability to play something that she had such an excitement for growing up. 
Maybe you're like Shannon and you've gotten to the point with the gospel where you heard it growing up. Then you made this decision to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And then it's been so long that you've really felt the passion and the fire. And so the gospel has just become stale to you. The good news has just become stale to you. And so it's just been a long time. But maybe today is the day that you got the PSP back. That you can begin to play Loco Roco again. That today's the day that the passion for the gospel has been reignited. And you have such a desire to continually internalize that in your heart. Internalize this relationship and then help people get into this relationship too. The gospel is such good news and we need to make sure in our own lives there's a passion for it because if we don't in our own lives we'll never have a passion to get understood to help other people understand this good news too. This is the gospel.